talked a lot about our next series, but let us not forget our current series, James. Three weeks in, two weeks to go, and I want to ask, how are you liking it so far? Yeah? Yeah? Feeling good about it? How about this book? We have been doing a deep dive, reading this five-chapter book. And so I want to hear from you. Uh, If you're at home, you can put your answer in the comments. I would love to be able to read those. But if you're here, I want to hear from you. If you could sum up in one word your experience of the book of James so far, what would that word be? What words you got? Challenge? Yeah. We got heads and nodding in agreement. What other words come to mind? Compelling. Compelling. Mm-hmm. Any other words that start with C? <laughs> now we feel even more limited. Uh, forget that. <laughs> any other words with any letter of the alphabet? Wisdom? Yeah, a lot of wisdom in there. I see online, Luann tells us enlightening. Mm-hmm, it's good. Yeah, the words I thought of as I was preparing this was challenging and dense. It's a dense. Every uh, line almost, uh, you could just parse out. I tried, uh, Allison wouldn't let me. I wanted to spend a year in James. She said, Kevin, maybe not a whole year. I said, maybe 10 weeks. She said, maybe five weeks. I said, okay. So here we are, and I have been enjoying it, but it is challenging and it is dense. And we've been studying this book because it's one of the blueprints for us that points to Jesus, how we can love like Jesus, how we can live like Jesus, and lead others into a living relationship with him. That is our mission here after all, and this gives us a blueprint. And we've been talking about how the Bible's a lot like Legos, where we get building blocks as we read the Bible, and it gives us a blueprint for how to live a vibrant, colorful, strong, and beautiful life of purpose and meaning. And so, so far in just two chapters, look at all the building blocks that we have parsed out. It might be a little hard to see unless uh, you're in the front row here. Another uh, plug, you're always welcome to sit in the front. Um, But yeah, hey, well done, those of you up here. That is 19 different building blocks, and honestly, there's probably more. If you need to see those better, you can always go back on Facebook and uh, pause the video at this point where you can write all those down if you've missed them in our first two weeks. But look at that. 19 of those building blocks, and we're adding 10 more today. It is dense. (laughs) This is action-packed stuff, but it is also challenging. Because look at our summaries of the first two chapters. Chapter 1, we talked about how faith isn't faith if it's not put into action. It's incomplete. Our faith, we must go into action and put it into action what we learned or else it's incomplete. And then last week, we talked about how true faith is a commitment of one's entire self to God. And how we are to love him with our mind, our soul, our strength. I missed one. What one did I miss? Heart. There you go. And our heart. And so this is an all-in, everybody-plays, getting-after-it type of faith that we are learning to live as we study the book of James. Now, if you looked at those two and you're like, heh, no problem. I got that. That's easy. Both of those, not a problem at all. I have great news for you. Next week is all about humility. (laughs) But today, chapter 3, it is all about the power of our words. 
Now, in this series, we've been, uh, accumul- you know, I'm all in on this, like, construction building kind of analogy. And so we've been gathering some tools to help us in our articulation of the Bible. So I decided to spice it up a little bit. I guess I had a little extra coffee in me this week. This is my toolbox. Okay. And we've been collecting tools that we are using to help us understand scripture better and deeper. So the first one, week one, pay attention to the gut punch. Sometimes scripture just ah, hits us right in the gut and we feel convicted and uncomfortable. And our encouragement was to sit in that place and figure out why. Why is this doing this to us? Should I put these? There you go. That works. Last week, what did we talk about? Does anyone remember? It's on the screen, so you can say it, and I'll think you'll... Interacting with the text! Allison can read! All right. I probably should have, like, a pencil or something, because we talked about underlining and circling and investigating more and, and, and having this ongoing relationship with our Bibles where we, we, we write comments and we answer questions and we say, I have no idea what this means, to really interact with it as though it is the leaving, breathing, true Word of God, because it is. So there's that one. I'll set that right there. Now this week, you can see, uh, I had to borrow a tool from my kids. Because <laughs> so my, my metal shovel we use for Henry uh, and, and things of that nature. So I didn't want to bring that in the sanctuary. But this is a shovel. It says, dig deeper. Dig deeper because this is a wealth of knowledge. This is our guide for life right here. And so uh, we want to dig deeper deeper into the text. Now, have you ever tried to like follow instructions, maybe a recipe, and you think you know what, how it's supposed to go and what you're supposed to do until you try to do what it says you're supposed to do, and you realize you had no idea how to do what it says what you're supposed to do. Like maybe the recipe says, you know, fold in the cheese, and you're like, I don't know how to fold in the cheese. I can stir in the cheese. I don't know. So what do you do? Usually, if you're of my generation or if you're crafty and you think about it, you, you go to Google and say, how do you fold in cheese? And it says, it's to gently stir in the cheese. Oh, okay. I dug deeper and I learned something new. The Bible can be like that, where we think we understand it. We read a passage, our eyes start to glaze over, the gears in our brain kind of get stuck and stop working, and So what do we do? Well, the encouragement is to dig deeper. So endless wealth of knowledge. And we have a ton of resources now at our disposal to help us understand it better. And so I put just a couple quick resources. If you want to dig deeper, up on the screen. The first is a website, blueletterbible.com. It's a free resource that has a bunch of different versions of the Bible. Sometimes reading different versions helps change our perspective on the text. But it also, as you click it, there's different free commentaries available that you can read other people's theologians' thoughts on that text to help you look at it from different angles. Another is the YouVersion Bible app. Uh, you can easily find a Bible reading plan to go along with whatever you are reading or whatever topic you're researching. You can easily search in it, and you will get these devotions that you can do daily to help go deeper. And then uh, the other is look up the relating verses. You know, all those tiny little like verses on the side there, they point to something that connects. 
and some of you know that and love to research them, but most of you, if you're like me, a lot of your life you kind of just ignored them because it felt like extra work. But sometimes it really helps us understand what's going on better. And the final one is ask me to buy you a study Bible or buy one yourself. You don't have to ask me, but you can ask me because I will buy you one because I believe this is the number one way, most easy, accessible way to go deeper to get a good study Bible that helps illuminate the beauty of the text and helps make it understandable. There's a lot I would recommend. My first starting point would be a life application one to get it from our head to our heart out into our hands, but there are many others I'd suggest as well. I encourage you to look into that. All right, let's dive into our text today. We're reading James chapter 3. We're going to start with it in its entirety, and then we'll parse it out from there. Hear the word of the Lord. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect, and we could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. Now, in the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. But a tiny spark, it can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts in the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. Whoa. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish. No one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so, blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? No. You can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. If you are wise and you understand God's ways, then prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous, there's selfish ambition in your heart. Don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy, selfishness, they're not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly. They're unspiritual and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving. It is gentle at all times and it is willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism. It is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers 
will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Give thanks to God for the reading of his word. So James spent most of chapter 2 arguing for why we should not judge anybody. And then he starts chapter 3 by saying those who teach God's word will be judged more harshly. And we know that is true both by humans and by God, called teachers of his word or called to a higher standard. And he points this out because no matter how hard we try, we all make mistakes. We know that. I've probably made like four at least in the last hour. Not the announcements, though. That was not a mistake. (laughs) Teaching, it was in the time that this was written, highly valued and respected in the Jewish culture. And so there were many Jews who had embraced Christianity that, that really wanted and desired and longed to become teachers. But James is warning them, it is not the lush celebrity lifestyle that they all imagined. And so he goes on to, accept, uh, to, to kind of uh, suggest that all of us, our human's inability to control what we say, it might be the biggest stumbling block for us living a God-honoring life. He says we'd be perfect. If we could control this thing, then we can control other things. But we can't control that thing, so we can't control the other things. And so we're in this endless cycle of wrestling with our sin. And so this sets up his next little section here. The section in which James pulls no punches. I mean, whew, that hurt, didn't it? When he was talking about our words. That our words have power. They have power to create, power to destroy. Power to build up, power to tear down. Our words can set either ours or someone else's life completely on fire. He even suggests that our words are more threatening and dangerous than even our muscles or our physical strength. Some of us perhaps more than others. What's that saying about sticks and stones? Who knows it? Break my bones, but words will never hurt me. What a bunch of lies! Are you kidding me? Has anyone ever been hurt by words before? Anybody? All of us. All of us cuts a lot deeper than a broken bone. But words also carry the potential to have incredible positive power, healing power. Because if words can destroy, they can also build up. They can also encourage. They can also lift spirits. You have no idea what God may set in motion by wielding our words wisely to speak his love and his truth and encouragement to someone who needs it. It costs us nothing to speak words of encouragement, but it might save everything. It might meet someone exactly where they're at, and God will use you to bring that person the gift they need to get through. Small example, uh, I apologize for if this embarrasses you, but our, uh, my friend Johanna Van Lanagent, Thanksgiving, she wrote letters of gratitude to everybody, uh, to just different people that were on her heart, on her mind. I was the lucky recipient of one of those letters. 
earlier this week, I was a little discouraged, just kind of overwhelmed, distressed. And I remembered that letter, and I remember it being encouraging and uplifting. So I pulled it out, and I read that letter. And my goodness, it changed my day. It set me on a good course once again. It reminded me of things I needed to be reminded about and gave me the power to go through. She wrote that letter. It blessed me when I first read it, and it blessed me once again and spoke to me differently again. You have no idea the power your words may carry in someone's life. And what we say, but also what we choose not to say, are both important. You see, we can never take back our words. When we speak, when it goes out, it's equal to like if we hit launch on a nuclear bomb. There's no fail-safe. There's no um, Ethan Hawke from Mission Impossible coming to stop that bomb. Once it goes out, it is out. No matter how much backtracking or sorry, I didn't mean it, we can say it never takes it away. As James says, you cannot undo, you cannot control, you cannot reverse a fire and the damage that it causes. So to control our speech, it doesn't mean just saying the right things at the right time. It's also refraining from acting on that impulse or that desire to say those things we shouldn't. And as we know, he says, it's one of the most difficult challenges we will face. It is one of the hardest foes we will ever have to try and conquer, and it is our tongue. Because it is really easy to wield our words as weapons, isn't it? And when we do that, it leads to sin. So how does the sin take shape when we wield our words as weapons? Well, here's some examples. Gossiping, insulting, belittling, bragging, manipulating, false teaching, or perhaps just said differently, spreading misinformation, exaggerating, complaining, flattering, and of course, lying. This is an opportunity for each of us to do a little, a little gut check, right? When we look at those, what one of those, when you hear me say it and when you read it, gives you a little, ooh, that might be me. We want to pay attention to that gut punch because if one of those hurts us, then perhaps we need to spend some time on that one because we all likely have a go-to. Some of us might have like three or four, five, ten, but we also might just have one. So what one is it for us today? See, here's the reality. We know words build up or tear down. We only need to think about all of our own lives. Go back in the catalog of your memories. I'll share with you. I can remember quite vividly, I was in elementary school, and uh, it was a classroom spelling bee. I was doing pretty good. I was doing better than I thought. I was getting close to the finals. And a seemingly simple word comes up, like, I got this in the bag. And then I proceeded to misspell February. <laughs> Feb, are you airy? I forgot. Feb, are you airy? I can laugh at it now, but at the time, 
I messed up. I felt shame, felt embarrassment, which was augmented by the laughter of my peers, which was augmented by me seeing them kind of snicker and sneer, which I had already made it further than them. Come on. But that doesn't matter. And then I see a classmate turn to the other one and said, so dumb. And I remember that. And I remembered that for a long time. And it affected me. It changed my perspective on me. It told me a lie that wasn't true, but in the moment, sure felt like it. I can remember that. Our words can tear us down. But going back in the catalog again, then I consider any time I had a major milestone in my life, any time, my mom, my dad, my two brothers, when she entered my life, my wife, and even now my kids, they say to me how proud I make them, how proud of me they are. And those words heal something within me. And they hold me together. And they fuel me forward. Our words can tear down. But they can also build up. And so I encourage you to consider your own life where those have happened for you. And so our words and how we wield them, they reflect in the moment, are we submitting to our sinful nature, the enemy's way? Or are we submitting in that moment, are we following the will of our good Savior? Are we following God's way? See, if we're not serving one, we're helping the other. Not serving one, we may be serving the other, intentionally or not. Mostly it's not. Consider our enemy. Satan was crafty. He's a conniver. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. What's the first instance we have of Satan in our Bible but tricking, deceiving, speaking pride to Adam and Eve in the garden? Satan uses words to divide people, pit them against one another, to sow destruction. His pride is unending to the point where he tempts Christ, trying to use God's own words against him to get him to bow down before him. Jesus, of course, doesn't. But Satan will do anything, say anything, to create destruction and draw people closer to him and away from God. But consider God. What does God do? Well, when he speaks, he creates life. He spoke us into existence. He spoke all of this into existence. He uses words to unify, to heal, encourage, to bind together, to honor, to bring life, to call people out and call people towards him. So when we speak, our words are either being motivated by our sinful nature or by the wisdom of God. So we have to consider, once again, what does it look like if our speech is motivated by Satan, by sin? Well, in that case, it's probably full of bitter jealousy, that nastiness, or selfish ambition. Perhaps it's being overly and deeply concerned about earthly things and desires, not things of God in the heavenly realms. Or maybe it's simply unspiritual thoughts and ideas just causing disorder, causing chaos, causing separation, 
causing pain, or even, dare I say, evil. But when our speech is motivated by God and his wisdom, we see that it is full of mercy. It's full of love for others. As our text says, it's about peace. We use words of peace where we consider others, where we're, we're willing to submit our will to God's and willing to lay our lives down for the sake of our friends and for God and his kingdom. Our words will be filled with sincerity and impartiality and righteousness. None of us wants to be motivated by our sin or by Satan. We all desire for our speech to reflect God in his ways. And yet we live in this cycle of life where we're in a sinful nature seeking to be redeemed by God and for fulfill his calling on our lives. And the beauty is that grace fills those gaps as we will celebrate at this table in just a short while. But this last passage, it kind of helps give us clarity on how to do this. Because if you just stop with James 3 uh, verse, where is that, 12, it kind of feels on first blush that James is saying, hey, you'll never be able to control your tongue, and look at how dangerous it is. Good luck. And then if you read the second half, it's a little hard to see how they connect. But as we dive in, we can see that he actually has some potent wisdom for us on how to tackle this. And as you kind of parse it out, you can see that what James is suggesting is that as we walk in step with the Spirit, then we can start to live into being motivated, our speech being motivated by God, and starting to get a grasp over our tongue. But it's not just walking in step with the Spirit. That comes first. But what will flow out of it then will be a growing and abundant self-control, which is needed. Self-control, it's a sign of wisdom. It's also a fruit of the Spirit. We've talked about how faith produces fruit. And so as we walk in the Spirit, He may grant us self-control, which will give us no longer just our own power to combat this tongue, which we apparently have no chance against, but God's supernatural power to control our words. We know it's a fruitless exercise on our own power, but with God's strength, we can make some significant progress and take some ground that we had lost. Proverbs twelve eighteen reminds us that some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. So we want to seek wisdom. We want to follow after God, trusting that as we draw closer to him, his fruit will flow out of us, including self-control. And so we have here in the second half of this chapter a powerful call to seeking God's wisdom. It reminds us that our words, again, will either reflect the ways of this world or the ways of God. But if we seek God, he will fill us with his wisdom. His wisdom that's pure. It's peace-loving. It's gentle. Full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It is selfless. It is honest. It is sincere. So as we seek God, these hopes become reality. They take up residence 
in our heart. And we know our words are the outward expression of what is in our hearts. So to help this settle in deep for us, we've been having these challenges each chapter. Last week was to parse out out of how to love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. What area did you need to focus in? What way were you missing it? And how do you dive in on that? I encourage you to keep after that. But this week's challenge is to identify the one area with your words that you need to work on. Is it your poor language? Is it having judgmental words? Is it complaining? Is it being dishonest? Is it bragging? Is it gossip? My encouragement is to write that down and go to work. I also encourage you to dig deeper. Maybe when you get home, you're so pumped up and ready for this, you'll Google, um, what does the Bible say about gossiping? And you'll get a list of like 20 verses, and then you can pull out your Bible, and you can dive in deeper and do a deep study. Or maybe you'll find a Bible plan. I want to show those sins once again of an untamed tongue. Remember, we were looking for the gut punch. What one is it for you this week? Start with one, and may we each day ask God to help us, because it is futile on our own. And we do this believing that small habits done daily lead to the major change we desire over time. What does it take? It takes intention to make a plan, because no one grows by accident. It takes self-control, which starts with faithfulness, because our fruit flows from our faithfulness, which comes from seeking God and his wisdom. As James 1, verse 5 says, if you need wisdom, you ask our generous God. He will give it to you. So we ask for this wisdom, and we ask him how to tackle this, and we trust and believe he will show us the path. And maybe it will be creative. Maybe you need a swear jar at home. <laughs> when that jar gets filled up, uh, you give it to church, I guess. I don't, I don't know how that works. <laughs> kidding. Maybe you need a swear jar. Maybe you need to download a habit tracker to your phone. Um, Streaks is a really good one where you can track every day something you're trying to uh, work on. Maybe if you've been complaining a lot, it's time to invest in a gratitude journal, to practice gratitude daily, because we know gratitude is the, uh, the, the what's the word? Um, it helps. It counteracts a complaining and a bitter spirit. Or maybe, like I need to practice sometimes right now, I need to count to five before I speak so that my words are not reactionary, but I can trust and be silent and allow God to fill, fill that gaps and fill my heart so I may speak from him and not from my own sinful nature. Whatever it is, make a plan and be intentional. Seek God in his will, and I trust you will make progress. And so that's what we desire to do together. Because we are collecting these building blocks, building a life of meaning, of purpose, of love, of wisdom, all because we believe it reflects our Savior. All because it's how we believe our God wants us to live as he has called us to live here. And so you see the building blocks from this week. First one is to guard our tongue. To seek self 
control. It's to live an honorable life, which means our words reflect how we are living. Or maybe it's to embrace humility. We've been a little bit too excited about ourselves and how we've been doing things, and we need to be humbled. Maybe we've just been really jealous. So there's a lot of things not going our way. Or we have these ambitions, and we don't care how many bodies we leave in the way. We're just going to keep pursuing our own thing. Or maybe we have to eliminate jealousy, that selfishness that's within us. Seek the wisdom of God, to be gentle at all times, and to plant seeds of peace. James 3 ends by saying, Those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. You cannot plant seeds of peace if we are wielding our words as weapons. And when we read of this, we can't help, and we ought to, consider Jesus Christ. For he is the ultimate peace bringer, isn't he? He is peace personified, and we get to reap in the harvest of his righteousness. So if others, people's words have hurt you, We need to just consider the words of Jesus and remember God's words who say, you are my son, you are my daughter, with you I am well pleased. Or perhaps if we feel like, oh, that conviction where I messed up and I really hurt somebody with my words, we need to consider the words of Jesus who says those with a contrite or a repentant heart, I forgive you. And we also trust that he will guide us on how to heal things if we're able to. And we are about to feast at this table together to reap in the harvest of righteousness. And as we do that, we only consider Jesus who was humbled and we are encouraged to follow his lead. His words built up, they united They draw together and they pushed forward his kingdom cause because he is the living word. He is our loving savior. He gives us the blueprint. And so we will build a life of meaning for him and his glory. Let us pray as we prepare our hearts to partake of his feast. Will you join me? Heavenly Father, Indeed, our words may never be enough to properly express our thanks to you, to our Lord and Savior who has truly given everything for us, who has entered into this long-standing relationship with us. We've let you down. We have hurt you. We have hurt you by our words. And yet, God, you are the living word who draws us back to you. So Lord, this morning we consider your feast. We consider your sacrifice. We consider you and your truth. And we ask 
in the power of your spirit that you speak to us this morning, that you show us the step forward this week you desire us to take to be more like you. That's what we want, God. That's what we long for, to reflect your beauty, to truly be your image bearers, to push your mission forward here. We thank you that you have called us to this. We pray that even now you work in our hearts as we seek you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.